Fun with Science with Steve and Travis. Today we've got a really cool experiment that has to do with dry ice and an oxygen reaction with carbon dioxide and flames, so you know it's gonna be fun. <laughs> Yes, those are our worship leaders. We make them sign a waiver when they come so we can do stuff like that to them. Hey, great to see everybody today. Uh, my name is Dan Schaus. I'm the Rock Island Campus Pastor. And a little shout out to uh, Bittendorf, Jason, your crew, hello. To QC West, Steve and your crew, hello as well. If you're online, I don't know your name, but uh, welcome. Good to be a part of Heritage. Hey, we have been walking through, as Sean is our senior pastor, through the book of Colossians. And that series we've called Chain Reaction, How One Thing Affects Another. And Sean used an illustration, if you're new or haven't been here in a while, he used an illustration that is applicable to today that I want us to walk through one more time. So uh, maybe it'll help uh, get this a little easier. I know I like pictures. When I read books, pictures are always easier than words, right? Hey, what we uh, have talked about is that uh, Jesus starts off being our rescuer. He has rescued us from consequences of our sin, of our choices. He has uh, forgiven us when we haven't forgiven ourselves. He's made a way back to the Heavenly Father. And we recognize Him as rescuer. He then becomes our Savior. No longer is our life our own. We don't control that. We've given that up to the one who has sacrificed. We know it. Some of us know it as Easter. It's where Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty so we didn't have to. So as a rescuer, we choose to make Him our Savior. As the Savior, He gives us His Spirit. God lives within us. We call it the Holy Spirit. That Spirit helps us understand. It gives us enlightenment, understanding of knowledge of God. And with that knowledge and understanding, here's a really cool part. We have a life that is worthy. Anybody want to live a ho-hum, run-of-the-mill life? How about a life that's worthy? And with that life that is worthy, we grow in some characteristics. We call it in sort of a churchy term as the fruits of the Spirit. We grow in endurance and patience and joy. And that is a very simplistic way to illustrate what we're talking about today. Being alive in Christ. That is, how to live a supernatural life, not just a natural one. And we also today will be in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. But before we do that, let me set this up for you. We're talking about living a supernatural life, living alive in Christ. Let me ask you a question. For uh, those of us who've been both in the church world, especially in the secular world, in your neighborhood, where you've worked, there are people who claim the name of Christ. They they claim to be Christians. And as you watch them, sometimes I've noticed, because I've been both in the secular world and the church world for a pretty good amount of time, I've watched that some Christians that are truly Christians, not they just go to church, but they truly have given their life to Christ, um, there's not anything different. There's not anything different about them. Um, I've watched some people that I can tell there's something different. And I don't mean they dress weird or social misfits. I'm talking there's something different about them. So what makes one different than the other? What makes one normal and one supernatural? I'm not talking perfect. Hear me when I say this. I'm not talking being perfect. Because quite frankly, 
there's no way it's going to happen. Perfect doesn't exist, even though we may pretend to be churchy or pretend to be religious. I'm talking about living real. Something that maybe that difference is about the heart. That we might define it as something you just quite can't put your hand on, but there's something different about him or her. I see peace. I see joy. And why does one live a natural life, typical, run-of-the-mill, normal? And why do others, you can tell there's something different about them? Well, I want to walk through that. If you would turn in your, or look up on your tablet, smartphone, uh, you can use your sermon guide that's in your worship guide there as well. And some of you might actually have a Bible, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, let's follow along in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And it says this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him, and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you, are, you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you come to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of our sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and when you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Again, if you're new to this church thing, that's sort of that Easter representation. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So as we look at this passage, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to start in reverse. We're going to start towards the end of this, uh, ver- these passages of Scripture and work our way backwards because I think those are the steps we'll take. We talk about chain reaction, how one step leads to another. Verse 13 and 14 says this, a really, really cool passage of Scripture we just ended with. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, what a cool two words. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Here's the deal. We were sinners. We have done things, said things, thought things. Maybe some of us have done things, said things, or maybe some of us had some of those things done or said to us. Maybe they were done a long time ago. Maybe there's something to this day you're wrestling with. But there's things in our life that uh, we sometimes quite can't let go. Sometimes they haunt our minds. Other times we have um, wrapped that scenario up, that situation up. Maybe we reacted out of anger. Maybe we reacted out of hopelessness and fear. And we compartmentalize that sucker. We've wrapped it up, we've put it, and we've shoved it somewhere we never, ever want to see it or deal with it again. But here's the good news. Then God. Then God. 
then God made a way. And making a way meaning you don't have to get yourself cleaned up. You don't have to fix things up. Sometimes when I talk to people, especially in those with, with addictions and strongholds in their lives, they'll, they'll tell me, Dan, you know, I, I got to get this fixed up or cleaned up or I need to get this situation done in my life. No, 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 you don't get it. God is a starting point. He's the rescuer. You don't have to earn this thing. It's a gift of God. Then God will forgive all that stuff. He is the starting point to this, not the ending point. You don't get yourself ready. God starts that. Then God will forgive. Then God will heal. Then God will restore. He is your fresh start. If you have your sermon guide, the first fill in the blank is this. You were dead because of your sins. Two words. Praise God. Then God. Then God. I've got a video I want you to check out real quick. He's a friend of mine, somebody who's had an impact in my life. So uh, watch the screens here. I mean, here's Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Mean Guy, Mr. Take No Bull Off Anybody. I mean, he was the kind of guy that would, you know, if he saw you walking across the street, he'd go across the street and pick a fight with you. Um, sometimes when they have a few drinks, they uh, like to fight. And uh, John, you know, he didn't get the nickname Bull for, uh, for nothing. I said, who is he? He said, that's John the Bull Bramlett. He's, he's a, he was known as the meanest man in football. Johnny was blitzing like crazy, and I'd throw the ball and complete the pass. He'd hit me, he'd knock me five yards back. But after about the fourth or fifth hit, I said, Johnny, you're not going to get me with the ball. Lighten up a little bit. I'll get you, Joe. I'll get you. He was uh, a, a lot of speed and a lot of ability, but he just had... Um, he had a wireless. He was becoming uh, somewhat of a star in sports. Now, there was the other side. After football, John started getting into little fights around town. We were on our way home, and I saw the traffic. It was stopped out in the middle of the street. And I thought, what has happened? And we got closer, and there he was out in the middle of the street fighting. There was, there was a fine line there between him being a fun drunk and a mean drunk. Yeah, I was very scared of my dad. Let me tell you something, people. Hey, I've been drunk on just about any and everything you can get drunk on and crazy on, but I want you to know when I met Jesus, he gave me something that the alcohol and the drugs couldn't give me. He gave me a peace in my soul that passes all understanding. And you see, that's what you is looking for, you see. But you ain't going to find it in the alcohol. You're not going to find it in the drugs. You're not going to find it in money or none of that stuff. You're only going to find it in Jesus. Christ changed it. And then he became passionate about spreading the gospel. And for many people, they, they would say, is this the same guy? Is this the same guy I played with? Is this the same guy I used to run around with before? You were placed on this earth by God to do his thing, not your thing. And you ain't never going to be satisfied till you do his thing. And I said, God, I said, if you can do anything with me, I said, the rest of my life belongs to you. And I've been in love with him ever since. The heart is he lived for the devil. He lives for the Lord by 24-7. There's only one way to heaven, you see. Only one way, and that's through the precious blood of Jesus. That's it. No other way. It's not by works of righteousness which you have done. It's by God's mercy and His grace that He saves you. He had taught us all those years what not to I mean. He was, by example, what not to do. But now he was trying to teach us what it was to really be a real man. John proves that God still works miracles. John is a miracle. I mean, you're talking about turning your life around from here to there. Uh, that's a miracle. From a man that, that 
curse God to a man that now serves God. Uh, I, I, there's no greater message. And John is a, is a shining example of what God can do in all of our lives. Man, we was all in bad shape. We was all sinners. And that's what he laid down his life for. Hey, that's love. Yeah, that's a then God moment. Then God moment. And John, his wife, Miss Nancy, you saw there, and Andy and Don that wasn't a part of that, or his sons, they were heroes of mine. When I was challenged in my faith growing up, Don and Andy were a couple years older than I was, and they were studs. They were football players. In fact, Don played in the NFL for a while, and uh, they were heroes of mine. When I questioned things, wondered, those were guys I looked up to. So I don't just share that as a nice story. I know them to be 100% true, and it's almost an unbelievable story when you tell it until you start to hear it from not only people that played with them, but his own family. John, they didn't tell the whole story. John was also a, a, a tough guy. I mean, he had learned uh, in what it was to be, to be a, a real man from the world's definition of success. And he was a mean dude, as you heard, the meanest man in football. But he was also rookie of the year behind the guy named Joe Namath, Hall of Fame quarterback. Pretty good guy. Not only was he that, he was a pretty incredible athlete because he also signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, professional baseball. But when he signed with St. Louis, he got into so much trouble he got into so many fights. This man, who obviously athletics was his idol, got kicked out of baseball, professional baseball, the rest of his life, forever done. Would you say that's a man out of control? That's a man who's got some issues. Now, how do we relate to that? Maybe your times of life, maybe the things we talk about sin, those things we mess up with, maybe they're not that extreme, but you can relate. You can relate. Mr. John was a failure as a player. You heard him. As a husband, he lacked just a little, huh? As a father, his sons were scared of him. As a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a teenager, we can relate. There's some area to that testimony that we can relate to. And here's the cool part, then God. Then God. When you listen to John's testimony, how it transformed the next fill in the blank is this. Many people wrote John off. He's extreme. He's the meanest man in football. He kicked out of baseball forever, done, never to return. In your life and in my life, do not ever count out the God variable. You can't count out the God variable. It trumps everything. Jesus becomes our rescuer. He's paid the penalty. It's done. It's over. He then becomes our Savior. When we choose him like John Brantley did to be our Savior, hey, Things change. Do they not? Things change. The God of the world does not come into our life and be okay. Have a little bit of some change. There's a lot of change that takes place. Maybe you're here today and you can relate to what's going on in John's world. And maybe you've been around long enough that you've been wrestling with this spiritual journey. On the back of your sermon guide is a prayer. And that prayer is nothing mystical or magical about that will that will allow you to be a, a son or child of, of God, it's the representation of your heart. And as we talk even now, as we go and, and we'll have a couple more opportunities to, to sing and worship, I'm going to ask you to do business with God. If you don't have a then God moment, if you don't have a then God moment, I'm going to ask that you do business with God. And if that prayer is a reflection of your heart, then you take time to do that at any point in time. Not only when God comes in is it 
life-changing, some things changed, like we said. And if we look at verses 11 and 12, we'll see the chain reaction from the then-God moment and see how things change. It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life. Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You know, when we realize what verse 13 and 14 means, and we give our lives fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, God gives us something for the future. He gives us eternal life, paradise. There's a hope for the future. But it's not just about the future. He also gives us a change in the present. He gives us a different heart, a different heart. You see, some of us remember these little thoughts in our minds or quotes that we had there were things like uh, living for the weekend, meeting up at the bar, pursuing that relationship, getting that promotion, acquiring stuff, trying to be cool as a teenager, trying to fit in. And then most of it, especially as we get a little bit older, just look at the money, money, money side of things. Trying to fill the void and us knowing who's pursued that realize it doesn't work, does it? Then God gives us new life. And that new life changes everything. Again, the God of the world is not coming to our life to have moderate changes. He changes everything. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is our appetites change. Our appetites change. We no longer have to sin. Beforehand, we were trying to pursue that high or replace that that feeling of hurt or loss or loneliness. Remember those times? Some of us might still be there. And we allow God to come into our life with a then God moment. And then these things change. We have new life. We have a new appetite. And now we have a, with this new life, really sin becomes a choice. It becomes a choice. Who do I please? Do I please myself? And when I please myself, those are things like, um, well, hey, uh, God, I know I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I've given you my life, but let me help you out. I'll take it from here. Does anybody else want to finish that story, how it ends? Yeah, not too well, usually, when we take over. When I have opportunities to do the things that I want to do in my life, they bring remorse, hurt, and pain. Some of us, we have to be on the spiritual short bus. It takes us many times to figure out, okay, I know God, I've taken control again. And God says, because he's a perfect heavenly father, hey, I welcome you back time and time again. But my appetite, having a new life is, I want to please my heavenly father. Because when I please my heavenly father, who is the author of life, who is my rescuer, who becomes my savior, who gives me the spirit, I want to please him. And when I please him, the ramifications are opposite than my selfish decision. I start to see life. I start to see growth. Let me share with you another John Bramlett example, and I've got a couple of them, because like I said, I grew up with, with their family, and their boys are a little bit older than I was, and, and here's an example of a different appetite. All right, Don and Andy, two big boys, even in high school, I don't know if they're all state All-Americans, they were studs, and uh, Mr. John and Miss Nancy had gone off on a trip. So um, Don and Andy were left home alone, and I had a younger brother, and I know what happens when, that, when mom and dad leave. We beat on each other. And they had broken interior door. And they knew it was going to happen because down south, we believe in whoopings. So what they did was they went around to the neighbors literally asking, do you have a door? We need an interior door so we can replace it. 
Now, most of us know it's not typical. I mean, to find the same exact, you know, heights and measurements, they found one. They replaced it. Mr. John and Miss Nancy come home. Don't really know a lot until he starts talking to some of the neighbors. And the neighbors ask, um, hey, did Don and Andy find a door? And Mr. John's like, what are you talking about? Well, he finds out the story. And, of course, it's uh, Don and Andy down. And says, guys, I got a little something to share with you. I found out this took place, door broke, blah, blah, blah. Is it true? Don and Andy said, yes, sir, dad, it is. Well, um, you know what the rules are. You know that you broke them. You know there's consequences. And you're going to get a whooping. You know that. And Don and Andy say, yes, sir, dad, we do. And here's a different appetite. Okay, see if you can see a little bit of a change. So John, who used to live, Mr. John used to live for himself, trying, doing everything in the world, being an NFL and pro baseball stud, which we know how that sometimes can go, now says to Don and Andy, I want to show you an example of Jesus Christ. You knew what you did was wrong, yes, sir. You knew you deserved punishment. You get whooped, yes, sir. Mr. John says, I want you to spank me. Is that a different appetite? Is that a changed man? The story goes on, and I've got to finish it because there's a little humor to it. Don is about my height except 100 pounds bigger, and he played for the Vikings. And uh, he's a big old teddy bear, soft personality type. And Don says, Daddy, I can't do it. I can't spank you. I, I can't do this. Andy, he's an A-type personality. He says, Dad, I'll, I'll take the belt. <laughs> there's a difference in appetite. When we experience a then-God moment, we experience a new life, things change. Things change. But some of us who've been a believer, who've given our life to Christ for probably more than months, maybe definitely over a year, and if it's been 10, 15, 20 years, there's some things that, uh, that happen. Sometimes we allow things to creep into our life, and we drift. Sean has talked about that, and it's a perfect analogy. We drift. We somehow allow the world's definition to come in to our definition, or I should say God's definition of what success really is. And I want us to look at verses, uh, verse 8 real quick. And it says this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Wow, this was written a couple thousand years ago and he realized there was high-sounding nonsense. That come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So here's the next fill-in. Simply guard yourself from wrong thinking. Guard yourself from wrong thinking. Now, to give you an illustration of what empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense looks like, check out the screen. Are you going to teach us anything, or are we just going to sit here? Just do whatever you want. I want to learn from my teacher. Besides that, Freddie, what do you like to do? I don't know. Burn stuff? Just go out and have recess. My parents don't spend $15,000 a year for recess. What, you want to learn something? Yes, I do. What, you want me to teach you something? You want to learn something? All right, here's a useful lesson for you. Give up. Just quit. Because in this life, you can't win. Yeah, you can try. But in the end, you're just going to lose big time because the world is run by the man. Who? The man. Oh, you don't know the man? Oh, well, he's everywhere. 
In the White House, down the hall, Miss Mullins, she's the man. And the man ruined the ozone, and he's burning down the Amazon, and he kidnapped Shamu and put her in a chlorine tank, okay? And there used to be a way to stick it to the man. It was called rock and roll. But guess what? Oh, no. The man ruined that, too, with a little thing called MTV! So don't waste your time trying to make anything cool or pure or awesome, because the man's just going to call you a fat, washed-up loser and crush your soul. So do yourselves a favor and just give up! And God knew a couple thousand goes, we'd have movies like that with some nonsense. How about that? That's one thing we guard against. It's humorous, but in all seriousness, we know the truth is that the world's definition has creeped in. If you've been walking with Christ for a while, people call marketing, get paid to let us look at those things that look so good and enticing and everybody looks happy if you just had this, if you just possess that. And as a Christian, which we know truth because God has, Christ has rescued us, he's our savior, spirit, he gives us knowledge and we understand more clearly what is true and what is a lie. But, but, we allow that stuff to creep in, do we not? I've been there. And you start pursuing some of these things like the money, like the position, like as a teenager trying to be as cool as possible just to fit in. And we get sidetracked and that is how you start to live a normal natural rat race life as a believer. It's real simple. We could end it here and be done, but I have a few more points to make. Proverbs 4.23 says this, the great little verse. It says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. The reason I like this so much is because of the context. This is a guy named David. In fact, he's a king and he's talking to his son. Now, I'm a father with sons, and I really appreciate this, but even more cool is that this is a king talking to the next heir to his throne. The next person that will take over the nation of Israel, the next person that will take over the investment that David had. Do you think from a king to an heir, much less a father to a son, he's just going to give him some okay advice? Or would he set him up for success? And David says to him, son, listen to me. Guard your heart. And another version, it says, because everything comes from it. And when the world creeps in and, and defines what success is for you or for me, and you allow it to creep in without guarding that, you compromise, you go back to normal. You do not allow the Spirit to make you knowledgeable, to make you worthy. You start to settle. You start to settle. Not only... Do we have to guard ourselves like a defense? But on offense, how do we continue to push forward in that life being alive? Look with me in verse 6 and 7. It says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. You know, that's a pretty deep passage. On living a supernatural life, this is a key to it. All this is put together and packaged together to give you a bigger example of what it means to live a life worthy and to have those, what you call, characteristics of those fruits of the Spirit that occur. And it's interesting. I don't read in verse 6 or 7, and quite frankly, I don't know that I find it anywhere in Scripture. It says, attend church and you're good. You guys see that anywhere? Make the checklist. Boop, hit church, I'm good. I'm walking with God, I'm cool. No, it's a little bit deeper than that. In fact, 
To pursue a supernatural life, you've got to grow. You've got to grow, and I'm going to define it as this, the conscious act or acts I make to pursue an okay relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is just all right with me. Remember that song? That don't work. It's okay. Jesus is not all right. He's a stinking rescuer. He's a guy who has taken our place. He's the guy who's paid for our sins. It's a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ that we pursue. So how do we do this? Now, with the time we have, quickly, I'm going to walk through a couple things that are pretty simplistic. If you're new to this journey, it may be profound. If you walk with Christ for a while, you know this, but I'm going to add a couple of two cents. How do we grow in our relationship, our passionate relationship with Jesus Christ? Number one, simply, ask. Ask God to renew that passion. Maybe today you've been reminded of what the then God moment was in your life. And some of those then God moments have occurred after we've been believers. I've been there and done that. I've lived a life the last few years that God wrought me to the core, to the core where I was ready to walk off the edge literally and be done. And God said, no, I'm not done yet. And here I am. How crazy is that? God doing his crazy stuff. And as we grow in him, sometimes we get over the then God moments and we get over, we get past the changed life, the new life. And so ask God to give you that renewed passion. Second, read the Bible. The Bible is not a uh, cool literary book. It is a love letter to you and to me. It is an instruction manual for success. Not a get-rich-quick scheme, even though God is a heavenly father who wants to love and see just like a good heavenly father does, wants what's best for his children. In fact, here's a crazy thing. He knows what's going to make you happy more than we know ourselves. So rather than me wanting to push and manipulate you today, I'm begging you, that your heavenly father, unlike maybe some of the fathers you had earthly from a physical perspective, the heavenly father's perfect. And he loves you more than you can even imagine. And he wants what's best for you more than you want for yourself. When you read that Bible, read it with expectation. Reread it. Not just reading the book to say you read the Bible. If that's a love letter, you don't say, I read it, I'm done, and you put it away. It is a life by life, day by day, moment by moment opportunity for us to connect with our heavenly father to learn to go again from rescuer savior spirit we get knowledge we start growing in our knowledge the spirit starts as we read scripture starts to reveal things to us that we grow in the next thing we do is prayer it's simple we had a, pl- a class on prayer a while back and uh, there were some comments made out of that class like i've been here for a long time and i never thought i was worthy to pray or i didn't know how to pray let me tell you anyone can pray prayer is conversation Prayer is talking with God. My oldest son, soon to be a junior, had major foot surgery this past Tuesday. And uh, they had to break his foot in about, I think, four or five places, a couple of, of, uh, of marks. They had to cut into everything from his Achilles to all over his foot. It was major stuff. And as a college athlete, having two knee reconstructions and a foot surgery, I knew what he was going through. And when my son said, Dad, I, you know, this is this some stuff going on. It's, it's a little bit tough. Do you think I said, son, I don't have time. I've got to prepare for a sermon. I've got a lot of people with hurts and pains. I've got to help. Or do you think I said, son, let's sit and let's talk eyeball to eyeball. Let me tell you the worst part of surgery is that stinking thing called an IV that gets stuck in your arm because neither one of us like needles. And then you're out like a light. And then you've got these crazy PTs, these physical therapists that love pain. They make you bend it further than you're supposed to, and they make you do things you're not supposed to get it strong again. I'm just kidding. I love you, physical therapist, but it does hurt. <laughs> and it's a five or six month procedure where you're going to not even be able to put pressure on it for maybe three, four, five, six months. Then they're done that. Son, let's talk. 
you think I didn't treasure that moment? So I want to help you understand that prayer is just that. You're scared, you're angry, you're mad, you have a time of decision. God wants to hear that. He wants to help. I want to help my sons in any way, shape, and form. In any conversation I have with them, I love it. I savor it. God wants to hear from you. That's how we start a relationship. That's one way how we grow. Living linked. Who do you hang around? Who's speaking into your life? We call it small groups, home groups, but sometimes I just call it doing life. Who's speaking in your life? Who can you open up towards? That might be a problem. That also might be something you need to guard against and start having people into your life that can grow you, help you, and encourage you. And quickly, worship. Steve, Carrie, Travis at our campuses lead us in worship. And, and that is great. It does help us to, to stop from the distractions of the week and, and give our attention to God. But let me tell you what, you worship God all the time. In your car. I'm telling you, I'm pretty good in the shower. It's that little echoing sounds good, you know, when you're in the shower. But you praise God all the time. What does praising God and worshiping God do? It puts our perspective on God's perspective. That regardless of my circumstances, God, it's hard, it's rough, it's so tough right now maybe. But I worship you because I know you've got a plan that's bigger and better than mine. At this point in time, I can only see from this perspective at six foot five. I cannot see from your perspective, but I know you do, and I know you see the past, present, and future, and I know that you want what is best for me more than I want myself. So God, I choose to worship you. Let me sum it up by saying this. We talk about how to grow and what it means to live a supernatural life. It's in your sermon outline. When God becomes more than religion and becomes the very life of within you. When Jesus becomes your passion, not just a church member, but when Jesus becomes your passion, when Jesus becomes your most precious possession, that is when you discover a supernatural life versus a natural one. Now, if you take those words in that comment, you cannot say, nor sing, Jesus is just all right with me. Otherwise, you will be like we talked about in the setup. You'll be normal. You'll be average. You'll wonder why, as a Christian, your life is not supernatural. Why you don't see God work in some pretty incredible ways. When you take that statement, and I'm not saying doing a bunch of stuff, I'm saying pursuing Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we're at our so what moment. Our so what around here is pretty cool. I like it. Being a pastor, being around ministry for 20 years, sometimes we just preach it and we're done. But the so what says, hey, God's spoken, we're communicating, let's actually apply it. Imagine that. <laughs> let's make some changes in our life. So here's a couple questions I want to ask you. Maybe it's a thermometer to say, are you living a natural life or a supernatural life? Number one, would people be shocked to know you go to church? Would people be shocked to know you go to church? Listen, I've been in some scenarios around some people, supposedly church people, Christian people, and I've watched some things take place, and I want to cower when they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. So here's the question. Are you one of them? And hear me when I say this, not that you're perfect, not that you haven't blown it, because I think when we blow it as Christians and we make it right, that can be one of the best testimonies ever. But between a natural and a supernatural life, if people knew you went to church, well, they'd be like, wow. Second question, do coworkers ask why you're different? And I'm not talking you're weird, you dress funny, your social misfit. I'm talking about there's that heart thing we talked about. They can't put their, their finger on it. Sometimes they make fun of you because of it. 
because you're not involved in what they're involved with. You're not having the kind of conversations that they're having. There's something different about you, but do they ask you that question? I have always been asked that question. Working in the, the world, in the secular world, or in, in church world, I've asked that of everyone else I've watched who I see have a supernatural life. When they're at work, do you get asked these questions? Every one of them have said yes to one, or if not all of these questions. Yeah, Dan, I do get asked this. Well, that makes sense. Why? Because when you're living a supernatural life, not just a typical, when you're living alive in Christ, there's got to be a difference in you. Third question, does anyone come to you for life advice? Because the same people that make fun of you, and some of you guys know this, are the same people that when life happens and their world gets rocked, they come to you, don't they? They say, hey, uh, they talk to you in the corner. They talk to you at the uh, break room. And they know you go to church, you're religious, you talk to God, whatever they determine you to be. But they ask you for life advice. If none of those are happening in your life, you may be typical rather than living a life that is worthy. I'm going to have a time of uh, just praying. And as I pray, I want to ask you something. If you're here today and you're wrestling with a spiritual journey and you want a then God moment, I want to encourage you. Your life will change. And, and some of us need to be reminded of that what that new life looks like, that life change looks like. Because it gives us a new appetite. And maybe you're a believer and you've fallen back and forth on a couple things in your life and you want that renewed aspect in your life. You want that appetite that screams out to pursue a heavenly father, the rescuer, and not just yourself. Because our self gets on the throne and we get control, we screw things up. So you need that new life. Some of us are here today, we've been walking with Christ for a while. And we know that there's things that have come into our life. We know the world has crept in. There's some things that's come into our lives that we need to guard against. We've allowed, and today, because the Heavenly Father is such a sweet Heavenly Father, He doesn't grab us. He gently places His hand on those aspects of your heart. And you know what I'm talking about right now in your seat. There's some things you need to stop doing. There's some relationships that need to stop. There's some things in your life you know that are causing you hurt, pain, and remorse. If not now, they will, because they always catch up to you. And you need to guard some things in your life. You need to guard some things. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know, this is pretty typical, is we forget what it's like to have that passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that gross scenario has stunted somewhere. And you are living a natural, normal life. And today, I'm going to ask you, as I pray, as we go to worship, do business with God. The so what moment means let's make some application. Let God search your heart. And when he puts that finger sweetly and softly on that area, give it up. Why? Because God knows what will make you more happy, more successful. Have that love, joy, and peace we're talking about, endurance, patience, and joy, more than you know or can manufacture on your own. What do you need to do to live a life alive in Christ? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can come and worship. And Lord, as I'm reminded of the Bramlett family, I am grateful for life change, for the then God moments. Not that we deserved it, but Lord, in spite of who we are, you rescued us. And when we allow you to be a Savior, Lord, you bring such unbelievable things into our lives. You grow us. You love us. 
You are a master coach, master teacher that sees our potential and you love us enough not to leave us where we are. But today, Lord, there's been some conviction. I know your, your word, your spirit has penetrated some hearts and lives and I pray that you would give us those eyes and ears that we've heard today, but more importantly, that soft heart that makes application to what you've said, that makes application so that we are not the same, that we can live supernaturally and not just a normal life. God, when you died on the cross for our sins, you never intended us to live a normal life, but that we live a life that mimics and imitates that of our rescuer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.